Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest foxcasting either side of the breach. On today's episode, we continue to follow Lucius as he plots, schemes and manoeuvres for power within the guild's upper echelons. In part one of our story, he helped a hapless bureaucrat deal with the city's rat problem. In part two, he has bigger fish to fry. I hope you enjoy part two of Ashes, Ashes, They All Fall Down, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by Stickmonger's Furniture Emporium. We make beautiful furniture that's as uncomfortable as an Iron Maiden. Each piece is designed to make natural posture impossible. It's perfect for anyone who wants to keep meetings short and prevent interviewees from settling in. Visit Stickmongers today for a two-for-one deal on chairs. Lucius returned to his office, the wide window on one side blazing with the setting sun over the city's downtown. The massive wooden desk and distinguished chair greeted him in the centre of the floor. An elegant iron hat stand and two exquisite but supremely uncomfortable chairs completed the decor. He didn't want any of his visitors to feel too welcome. Despite his vocation as a lawyer, he had no bookcases. He had no need for them as his superior mind remembered everything, a gift that had served him well. It always had. I need the facts and figures on the missing couriers, the secretary said as he stood in front of the window. The slightest shuffling of shoes against the polished wood floors was the only response. Moments later, a file appeared on Lucius' desk, along with a glass tumbler of the best bourbon outside of Earth. In silence, the scribe returned to his usual place near the door. He wore a suit befitting the assistant to the most prominent lawyer in Malifaux, and a mask that matched the profession, but it was utterly inconspicuous, his best quality. Lucius leaned his cane against the desk and settled himself behind it, loosening the mask from his face. As he rifled through the pages of information, he sipped at the bourbon. He couldn't taste the beverage or feel the effects of the alcohol, but knowing that years of planning and labour went into something he could consume in a moment, gave him a delicious feeling of superiority. He also enjoyed the sweet and spicy bouquet that breached his nose, but that wasn't why he drank it. Secretary Madison narrowed his eyes as he read detailed accounts of Karis' most recent acts of arcanist sabotage. As the new leader of the arcanists, she did not have the strict methodology that Ramos had. She let her emotions rule her decisions. How very human of her. Her latest attacks on the guild seemed centred on the area where the industrial zone became the downtown area, very near the records offices where many confidential documents were stored. 
How concerning. His pen scraped against paper as Lucius composed a list. A match flared as he melted some wax onto the stationery with his precise handwriting on it. Pressing his seal into the scarlet sludge, he made it official. I have some concerns about the security of our documents in the records office, and some of our other storage locations due to this new arcanist activity, Lucius said, his voice thoughtful. The scribe nodded in acknowledgement. These are the documents I'm most uneasy about. Please get this to the head of the records department, so that she may take precautionary measures. Speed is of the utmost importance. Get this list to her tonight. The scribe took the folded paper and vanished through the door. Lucius waited. Several hours passed before a knock sounded at his door. He refitted the mask to his face. Enter, Lucius directed at the ethervox connected to the watcher perched outside above his door. Mr. Secretary, sir. A member of the records department entered, out of breath. Finally, someone who treated him with the deference he deserved. Lucius nodded at the man to continue. You had a request to secure some documents? The man's voice ended on a high note of fear. Yes. Well, you see, the records department decided to send them to the governor's manor for safekeeping, but the courier vanished. We... We think it was the work of arcanists, the administrator stammered. They have all those files. Lucius stared at the man until the messenger began to fidget, twisting his derby hat between his hands. This is unacceptable. Find those documents. Lucius didn't raise his voice, but let an edge of rage and a modicum of intimidation infuse each word. Yes, sir, the man squeaked. He scurried out of Lucius' office. Another bourbon, Lucius commanded. The scribe complied. The secretary tossed the glass back, downing the beverage in one gulp and sending all that arduous work into oblivion without even tasting it. Karis was making quite the mess of things. Shouts. Papers and ledgers scattered everywhere the smell of someone who hadn't bathed in several days. The secretary was coming to despise the crown room, even though he'd seen just how splendid it could be under the previous governor-general, and surely would be again under the next. The arcanist destroyed a building, storing guild records, took a number of files, and burned down several of Hoffman's workshops, Grosina announced at the next meeting, her hair, hat, and dress immaculate, despite the disarray surrounding her. Lucius had to respect her for that. How did they know where Hoffman's workshops even are? Marlow asked. Lucius could have sworn he saw more grey in the hair at his temples. Gracina looked over one of her reports. They stole accounts with locations from a courier who was bringing those records back to the guild proper. How the hell did that happen? Marlow demanded. The head record keeper decided that those files were too vulnerable where they were, so she planned to send them to the manor for additional protection, Graciana reported. She let the arcanist take them, Marlow roared. Lucius cleared his throat, a gentle sound. Eyes turned toward him. 
It sounds as though she was trying to prevent them from falling into Arcanist hands. Fire her, Marlowe ground out. Holding up a hand to stave off the Governor General's rage, Lucius tipped his head to the side. He knew that the soul stones in his mask gave off a shrewd shimmer. I don't believe the record keeper is at fault. She was merely taking extraordinary precautionary measures and concluded that the higher security of the governor's manor was a preferred location for such sensitive documentation. I believe it's clear that she was not wrong in wanting to protect that information. Or should she have left them in the now smoldering records building from which the arcanists would have taken them anyway? Marlowe ground his teeth. Lucius could hear them scraping together from where he sat, like music. Turning to Gracina, Lucius asked, What do you think, Miss Yao? Gracina crossed her arms over her chest. It's true they would have taken the documents no matter what. Trying to keep them out of their hands was the best move. She turned to Marlowe. Franco, we don't have any good options. Something needs to change. I agree, Lucius added. From an accounting perspective, our resources can't keep up with the sheer number of operations you've put into motion. I don't need your opinion, Marlow snapped. I just need more information. Of course, Governor General. Secretary Matteson took a certain satisfaction in watching Marlow begin to unravel. It's like someone is undermining us from every direction, the Governor General snarled. Well, yes it was. All those fools, guild and arcanist alike, thought they were so unpredictable, when instead they had hindered themselves just as Lucius had planned. Play by play, he would enfeeble Franco Marlowe. He surprised himself with the realization that this new governor-general was the worthiest opponent he'd found since the humans had returned to Malifaux. He'd studied his foe. You! Marlow pointed at some poor staffer. Give me the latest on your project. Colin cringed and handed Marlow some papers. The door to the crown room slammed open. A woman in clinking spurs stormed through. She wore a wide-brimmed hat and two peace bringers slung about her hips. Perdita Ortega. Lucius leaned forward in interest. She rarely visited the guild offices and had more tact than to interrupt a meeting if that's what this could be called. The exalted Neverborn hunter marched her way to Marlowe's side. Your assistant said to make an appointment, Perita explained, her voice quiet and threatening. I decided to schedule some time, right now. Why aren't you in the sewers? Marlowe snarled. Why would I be in the sewers? My job is in the Northern Hills, remember? Benita rested her hands on her hips and raised one eyebrow in irritation. Sure, yes. Why aren't you there, then? Marlow reached over the assistant closest to him to snatch a file from further down the table. Because I need more people to call me area. It's a goddamn maze up there, Benita replied. An assistant piped up. Entire towns are vanishing, Mr. Marlow. According to Miss Ortega's own reports, even some of her own people have vanished. At this, Padita pressed her lips together in annoyance. Whether at the assistant or at her family members who'd gotten themselves in trouble, Lucius couldn't say. 
The assistant continued. In addition, there are rumors of mannequins or carafe or some new puppet-looking constructs roaming the area. Lucius curled his lip in disdain at that information. He suspected he knew the cause of this latest fiasco, and it was a never-born problem, but likely not one that Perdita would be equipped to take care of. I can't give you more people, Perdita, Marlow said, still not looking at her. She crossed her arms. What the hell is going on up here, Marlow? I'm handling things, the Governor-General barked. Considering he kept saying that, Lucius was quite confident that he wasn't. Excuse me, Lucius interrupted. The two looked at him in surprise, not having noticed that he'd moved. Perhaps this menace in the northern hills requires a more official, policy-laden approach, the secretary suggested. He brushed an invisible piece of lint from his coat. Some individuals respond better to litigation than a show of force. Are you serious? Perita choked out. You think that whatever is emptying out towns will respond to a court summons? Or the threat of one, anyway? Lucius turned his head to face her. The law itself is a powerful weapon, Miss Ortega. She snorted. Lucius ignored her obvious disrespect for the moment. Marlow didn't look up. Do whatever you want. You two figure it out. The Northern Hills is no place for a bureaucrat secretary. Perita gave him a skeptical look. Such insolence. Lucius gripped his cane, digging his fingernails into it through his gloves. Perhaps my success will have you rethinking the efficacy of my chosen profession. If you can figure this out in 48 hours, I'll eat my hat, Perita snickered. When I accomplish your task in under two days, you can owe me the completion of the undertaking of my choosing, Lucius countered. It's your funeral, lawyer, Perita shrugged. I'll carve I told you so into your wooden corpse once I find it out there. With that, she swept out of the room like an overconfident, spoiled, domesticated bird. The crown room once again exploded into arguments and negotiations. Ledgers passed from person to person. Lucius stepped out of the governor's manor, leaving the tumult behind him. Boarding the train at Malifaux Station, Lucius sneered at the humanity around him. It wasn't an unusual expression for him, but yet another instance in which he appreciated the mask. Though McMorning had made an attempt to make his facial features more human, Lucius still had not given up the golden visage with the soulstone eyes. The train wheezed like the breaths of some dying monster. The humans occupying the seats avoided unnecessary conversation. The personalities of those who ventured even further into this land and away from the egress that the breach represented were stoic and suspicious and willing to forego civilized life. Lucius was quite sure that the man lying across an entire bench with his hat pulled low over his eyes hadn't bathed in days at the very least. Lucius hoped he was getting off at an early stop. This way, Mr. Secretary, the scribe gestured toward the set of benches facing each other at the rear of the car. Ahead of him, Captain Dashiell, 
an enormous bald man with an equally enormous axe, stomped his bulk down the aisle, making the entire vessel sway. Two lawyers in grey coats and shiny badges of office followed him. Whom are we wielding the law against today, Secretary Matteson? chirped Birmingham, a lawyer. He bared his teeth in anticipation, a man bloodthirsty for seeing lesser humans fall prey to official forms and proper channels. Whoever is causing such an uproar in the northern hills, Lucius replied. He gestured at the scribe, who handed files to their travelling companions. Dashiell tossed his on the neighbouring seat with a grimace. He patted the axe he wore slung over his back. Just tell me where to swing this. Then leaned back in his seat, crossed his arms, and closed his eyes. He reminded Lucius of a sleeping bear, ill-humoured, quick-tempered, and dangerous to lesser beings. Additionally, he wasn't prone to asking questions. All in all, an excellent tool. Except for the rattling and hissing of the train, they rode in silence. Even the other passengers left them alone, perhaps due to Dashiell's earlier dark glare or Birmingham's toothy, menacing grin. Whatever the cause, Lucius appreciated it. The land transformed from the grim, sooty urban tangle of the city into stretches of harsh grasslands, covered in the hostile, spiky flora native to this side of the breach. As they neared Ridley, the rocks burst from the earth, rust-red and somehow belligerent for such inanimate objects. The changed terrain was completely unable to support any plant life, save the occasional contentious shrub that refused to die. Inside the city, it smelled of smokestacks and industry. Outside of Malifaux, the air had a sharp, pungent punch to it, as though a storm was perpetually on the horizon. As he stepped out of the train car in the small town of Ridley, Lucius inhaled and wrinkled his nose. This was what it was like before the humans came. Dull and austere. He turned to narrow his gaze at the hills in the distance. A predator lurked in the wilderness. Now he just had to find it. Under his mask, his mouth turned up in anticipation of the hunt. As his retinue slept, Lucius crept out into the night. His long strides carried him to where he knew she'd be. Madison, a voice growled out of the darkness. Zoraida, he greeted her. The old woman stepped into the moonlight. She covered her body in rags and furs. Small dolls, their mouths stood shut, swung from her belt. Despite her rage, her piercing eyes studied him. The smell of wood smoke, swamp, and decay reached Lucius, making him want to sneeze. Even though she was once human, she barely looked at any more. She'd given up her ability to blend in with the humans without batting an eye. It was one of the things he hated about her. You got my message, she cackled. An enormous mire golem tromped out of the undergrowth to stand, swaying the tiniest bit behind her. It eyed Lucius with a hostile glare. Secretary Madison's blood pulsed. He considered directly retaliating then and there. 
While confident he could end the old woman's life, he wasn't sure if he would walk away unscathed. Zoraida wiggled her long fingernails at the creature. Calm yourself. The Maya Golem settled into stillness. Are you ready to play a game, the Right Honorable Lucius Gustavius Fitzwilliam Madison? What are the stakes? Lucius asked, instantly suspicious. If you win, I tell you where to find what you're looking for. She gave him a gap-toothed grin. And if you win... Your fate is crystal clear to me, my dear, and yet your face remains behind a fog. She rubbed her hands together in glee. You tell me exactly what you are. Lucius shook his index finger at her. I prefer to keep you guessing. Instead, I want you to tell me where to find what I'm looking for. Why would I do that? Because I am willing to provide a solution that will benefit all of us Neverborn, Lucius replied. And that is? Elimination of the rogue element. She tapped her chin and thought with a long claw-like nail. Or are you sure you can rely on it in the upcoming conflict? Lucius murmured. A grimace crossed Zoraida's face, and Lucius knew he'd won. Hmm. Deal. She held out her hand for Lucius to shake. Her fingers were brittle, reminding Lucius of an old tree branch. With a flourish, she pulled out a deck of cards. They seemed to chatter as she cut and shuffled them with one hand. Highest card wins. She explained. Such a simple game? Lucius asked in surprise. I'm too curious to wait. Her eyes gleamed in the moonlight, like those of a nocturnal animal. Lucius shrugged and pulled a card from the deck at random. Zoraida did the same. I win, she crowed. You're so slippery with your words. So you're not a Nephilim? She eyed him. He tilted his head. Her mouth turned up at the corners. You're no skinwalker. I know a doppelganger when I see one. Do you? Lucius gave no indication one way or the other. The fact that she even considered he was a creature with an identity crisis meant she'd even less of an idea of his origins than he'd believed. How amusing. He hoped he could keep up this little game forever. Zoraida hesitated for only a moment. Yes, she walked around him. You do blend in with the humans quite well. And have for years, he pointed out. But you lack that fresh-skinned smell. She paused to ponder. So why the mask? Why hide your face? And the gloves? Why cover your hands? It is a requirement of the profession. He tapped the metal on his face. She tapped her fingertips together in thought. Your guess, madam? She snarled in frustration. He smoked. 
After a moment, she said, Are you a woe? Do I look like a child to you? Lucius asked with a snort. They're not all children, Zoraida snapped. Well, are you? I am as much woe as I am sorrow, and that is as much of an answer as you will receive. You're an impossible creature, she spat. Now, about that little issue around the settlements outside of Ridley. I believe one of our own is involved. Zoraida scowled. Oh, yes, and that. You know where it is, Lucius said, standing so still his breathing was impossible to discern. On the occasions when other Neverborn were around, he could let himself forget to make the little movements he'd adopted to make him seem more human. The swamp hag frowned and clamped her mouth shut. We had a deal, Lucius reminded her. You want me to take care of this for you. You'll find it in the morning, in the woods to the north of the human settlement called 37J. Make sure you take care of it properly. Zoraida pulled a small box from a pouch about her waist. She twisted the tiny crank protruding from the side of it. The silvery notes of an ancient lullaby rose in the air. She reached out to Lucius, the small music box resting in her palm. Use this. He plucked it from her hand and bowed. Thank you, madam. I'll find out what you are one of these days, Lucius Madison, the swamp hag threatened and cajoled. And perhaps you'll live long enough to see me fulfill my fate. Lucius bowed, melted into the shadows with a soft chuckle, and returned to Ridley, making sure to slip the name of the settlement into Birmingham's notes. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for the conclusion of our story on Tales of Malifaux.